Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com and find them at FDIC at booth 2540. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.brawnambulances.com. Alrighty, well, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you're listening from. Uh, and once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Perspectives on Leadership podcast brought to you by Fire Engineering. Uh, my name is Steve Shaw, and I'm your host. I'm proud to be an assistant chief with Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. I'm also very honored to be a part of the fire engineering family as an author, uh, as a presenter at FDIC, and as a host for this podcast. Uh, I continue to be a student of leadership, and I'm grateful for this platform and for the value it provides those who listen and for the opportunity it provides me to grow as a leader within my organization, Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. Uh, during the last conversation I had with Chief Holton at uh, the end of this last year, uh, he mentioned that F how FDIC was a tactics conference, not just with firefighting, but with all things, leadership, training, mentorship, what have you. And then no matter what we taught or presented or spoke on, we need to be focused on the tactical ways for our listeners or readers to model or deploy these ideas in the real world. So with that spirit in mind, with in his, in his honor, uh, I will continue to focus on those tactics as well as the, the concepts. So I want to always thank Chief Halton as we start this podcast. I continue to be fascinated by how our perspectives uh, affect our ability to lead. Uh, perspective is the lens in which we see things through, not only our is our perspective powerful, but it's the lens that other people can see through. Uh, and that's important to understand and call it what you will, mindset, viewpoint, angle. Perspective is a powerful tool in the tool, uh, toolbox of a leader. So the goal continues to be pretty straightforward for this podcast. We're going to take a concept or a trait that we associate with leadership and take a deep dive down that rabbit hole. Our fire service is filled with amazing leaders and each have their own perspectives on leadership. I want to be able to pick their brains and allow them to provide as many tactical, immediately deployable takeaways as possible to the listener. I'm forever grateful to Fire Engineering and Chief Holton for allowing me to have this platform so I can do my part in passing it on to my brothers and sisters in the fire service. So in getting started with this, uh, several years ago, I mean, this is probably approaching a decade or more, 
Uh, I got to take a class uh, some time ago at Fort Lauderdale's Fire Expo called Can Confidence with Eric Wheaton and the, the Vent Enter Search crew. Uh, this class was interesting. It, it gave me a different perspective on things. Uh, and the interaction with Eric and several of my brothers from the central Florida area provided me a, a shift in the way I view certain things, from tools to tactics. For example, I no longer look at a PW can just as a PW can. It's not just a pressurized water can. Um, back then it was to me and through his class, I'm like, oh, this is actually a tool that you can use to hold the fire in check while operating the hose line and a variety of other things. It also helped at the time us validate VES as a tactic uh, to use along with our primary search because at the time we were still uh, navigating through how to make our administration understand the value of VES. Uh, anyway, so overall though, going back to that PW example, it was a reminder that almost everything that we do in our field, every tool, every tactic, every strategy can be elevated in some way. And in some cases, that elevation can approach a form of art. So this brought me further down the rabbit hole than I was expecting to go. I started thinking about all the specialty tools and equipment that the fire service has um, and continues to produce, ranging from the iconic Halligan bar uh, to other tools that I see on social media these days, such as the Lockwood hook, the Williams key, the fast wrench. It also had me thinking about how much research and development goes into our craft by leading experts on areas such as search, civilian rescue, flow pass, and so on and so forth. It gave me great pride as a firefighter to see the strides we are making in our field. And also made me wonder what other opportunities are out there right now for our own folk to start bringing to the next level. So I thought it'd be great to have Eric on the podcast to talk about the idea of elevating our craft in terms of things such as tools, equipment, tactics and strategies, and the way we elevate our skills as instructors. So a little bio about Eric. Uh, Eric Wheaton is a second-generation firefighter for Winter Park Fire Department and is currently assigned as the lieutenant on Truck 61. Eric has spent the majority of his 16-year career on the truck company and serves at the Winter Park Fire Department Technical Rescue Team. He's the owner of Vent Enter Search LLC. Eric is an instructor for the Truck Company Operations Program at Valencia's College Central Florida Fire Institute and is taught at many fire conferences across the country, including FDIC's hands-on training. He also serves as an advisory board member on the UL FSRI Size Up Search and Rescue Study. So before I give him the mic, I just wanted to say a couple of things as I was putting this together and thinking about this conversation. My first thing as I was thinking about was how everything we can do, everything we do can be elevated to that of an art, whether it's throwing a ladder, pulling a line, working a code, uh, we can spot those people even today out there who are on social media, teaching classes, writing articles, who are doing their best to raise the bar in all those areas. Second thing I thought of as we we're prepping for this conversation was the idea of being a specialist versus being a generalist. And though it's really important to have those specialists in our field that we rely on to write those articles, do the research and development, the people we go to to, to seek out extra information to make sure we're doing the things right. It also brought me back to the dichotomy of the importance of being generalist too. In other words, having at least a plan A for which whatever we're responding to. And the third thing I thought of was, you know, the need to prepare the person behind us. Uh, if, if we're that subject matter expert, if we're that leader in the field, that's wonderful. But what are we doing to prepare the next generation, the next person to take our role when it's time for us to transition off to some other specialty or some other space in our life? So those are the three things I thought about, but um, Eric, Thank you for being on here today. It's great to have you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. And uh, I definitely enjoy uh, talking tactics and, and really anything truck company and leadership related is, uh, is a huge passion of mine. Um, I thought it kind of interesting, too. You, 
you, that first point there where, you know, everything can be elevated into an art form, right? So I, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit. Um, you know, we, uh, we're, we're professional firefighters, whether we're career or volunteer. I think we all get, get past the, the, the paid aspect of it and just realize that it is a profession. And, um, you know, take, take that very seriously. You know, when I came on, um, I was really wanting to be into it and I was looking for mentorship and I wanted to find a mentor in my own department, uh, to mentor me through this, this feeling I was having. And I, fa- I actually found it kind of hard to find even just one or two people in my own department to, to really mentor me because it was almost like it was, uh, everybody, I felt like everybody thought it was too cool to be a, a nerd into the job. Right. So um, here I am reading Fire Engineering magazine in the bay, in the apparatus bay, and a senior guy would walk by me and I would I would kind of hide it behind my back because I was too nervous. And I, I'm trying to read articles and and really dive into some of these things that I was very interested in. So that's a whole nother subject that we could talk about, about mentorship and 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 the the culture and, the, and ultimately the culture change in, in my own agency. But, um, you know, I always I always tell younger younger guys getting in is. Find something in the job that interests you and dive into it and become um, uh, become adversed in, in that subject. So for me, it happened to be a, a, a water extinguisher, and we'll talk about how that kind of came about, whatnot. But um, find something that interests you and, and dive into that and then share it. Right. So once we once we learn, um, learn this topic or learn this tactic, we need to dive in and, and then ultimately share that. Um, you know, uh, uh, an example of how we can do that is, uh, is, and I'll give a little shout out to, to my shift and, and at my firehouse, we, um, we decided last year, we were going to do a mile of hose and a mile of ladder throwing every month for entire month or for entire year. Um, and I had actually a lot of buy-in on that. And ultimately by the 12th month, um, people were really into that and you should, I'm, I was I was expecting obviously some some improvement in those skills, but I didn't imagine how much improvement I would see. And then now six months after we've we've completed this 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 challenge, you know, we're seeing ladders and hose uh, lines being pulled on scenes uh, much more efficiently, effectively. And um, you know, it's just that's just one example of, of diving into to something. And we made a little challenge, and it was uh, it was pretty successful. So. You know, I, I was following you on, on social media when you were doing that. And I when I first saw that, I'm like, what a phenomenally great idea. <laughs> and it was so, shortly after I hurt my shoulder from flipping <laughs> tons of ladders. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll, I'll slow down before I start something like that. But no, you, you start. this is a great way to start. Um, and even before we start some of these general questions, I'd love that you, when you're telling people to not only dive in, but you're also telling them to share it as well. In other words, that whole Billy Goldfeder thing of passing it on. How are we passing it on? So it's a great way to start somebody in their, in their career, especially if they have an interest. So let's let's dive into that then. Um, let's go back to that can confidence class, because I really want to, again, that was an eye-opener for me in, in a lot of ways, but it, it provided me with an alternative perspective on something as simple as a PW can. But that class opened me, my eyes for something beyond its intended use. So where did the impetus for that class come from? Yeah, so it started, um, like you said, probably probably just over a decade ago, and um, I had a good friend that left a smaller department outside the Orlando metro area and ultimately got hired on with the Orlando Fire Department. And being new to, to a big city in, in Central Florida, you know, uh, Orlando Fire Department is the big city job in our area. 
and uh, being new to that big city, came from a small city, more similar size to mine. And he was asking questions, um, you know, hey, uh, as a at the time I was a firefighter riding uh, what we call the inside truck um, position or the irons firefighter um, on our truck company. He was asking, you know, what tools I carry or uh, and then uh, for what type of fire we're responding to. Right. And I, I just basically said, well, I don't care if I go to a shed fire or a high rise fire. My tool cache is basically the same. I may add a hydro ram to, to my cache, but it's the irons in the in the water extinguisher. And he goes, you know, he's like the water extinguisher, like even on a working fire, you know, for his brain, brain, that was a rubbish fire tool or an investigation tool during a fire alarm. And I was like, yeah, I mean. I, I was kind of mind blown that that wasn't uh, something that he had thought of because, again, I I was a little closed minded early on in my career, not not necessarily closed minded, but more or less. Uh, I only knew what my department was was sharing with me. Right. So I just assumed one of our fire department was the American Fire Service. Right. What I thought we were kind of all the same. I hadn't really gotten into attending conferences and things like that. And so. I found that very interesting and I sat down and just kind of described to him um, how we use it tactically, you know, um, how that we have writing assignments and tool assignments. That's where, you know, basically no matter what type of fire call, if there's fire smoke in the call type, this, these are the tools we're going to bring. And, and, and again, how we're going to pull that through a, a house and, and, and ultimately, you know, stop uh, or at least slow the forward progression of fire and put a little bit put quick water between fire and victims, you know, saying all those things to him. And, and, uh, and around the same time, um, uh, Steve Negley is a, uh, is a, uh, a big figure in the central Florida area. He runs the Orlando fire conference. Well, around that same, you know, within a few months, um, he, he reached out, we were to actually attending a class at the state college together. And he said, you know, he's talking to myself and a, another gentleman from our department. He's like, Hey, I'm looking to do something new for the fire conference this year. I was thinking something about the water can and, uh, and, you know, so I kind of perked up and I was like, Oh yeah, we, I actually just had a conversation. Um, we we'd gladly do a develop a class for you guys. Um, and that's where the class came from. And I, I want to say right there at the state file college, he's like, okay, cool. You're in, what are you going to call it? And the first thing that came to my mind was canned confidence. <laughs> and that was just because everything I try to explain to people or when I'm teaching, I always have in the back of my mind, I want them to have confidence in that skill. So whether it be our aerial operations program, our search, um, our water can, our forceful entry, we really start really basic and then work up. It's cliche to say, but I'm a big fan of the crawl, walk, run, right? So um, that's where the title came from. And in fact, I kind of I didn't like the title at first. I thought it was kind of cheesy, um, but it, ultimately we, we stuck with it. And the program, since you saw it, has since grown significantly because probably back when you attended it or, or uh, stepped in on it, it was probably more of a four-hour program. It's developed now into a full-blown eight-hour program. And in fact, uh, we even have a, a two-hour lecture component with the whole thing. So um, that's basically uh, how it started and um, why it continued and why it continued to grow is the desire to educate these suburban, smaller departments on a successful tactic and tool that the, was really only reserved for the big urban cities, right? So we saw in a small department, three station department, nine square miles, very successful with it. And um, so I wanted to make sure that other uh, other fire departments, especially 
with my uh, relatability as far as size and, and, and staffing um, can be successful at this and have a successful fire ground uh, using this tool and tactic. I dig it, man. Like I said, I, and, and I figured it would have grown since I saw it last. And, you know, it's, it's, and it, it, I mean, you take that concept of taking something which was in some person's mind, uh, something that's simple, but yeah, it, I don't even know how to describe it. Something just a, a, a plain old water can and develop it to something more than it is and, and expand upon it. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And it's nice to see that being done across the, the, the scope of what we're doing in the fire space these days. Um, so thank you for that explanation because it's, I'm glad you were able to explain that. I think I'm hoping again, this is about the people listening to this conversation too. And if they have those ideas, if they're wanting to take something that they see is something that's got more potential to it, given the impetus and the, the, the background of how you were able to do this. I mean, they could do that with something, something else on our truck and on our apparatus. And so let me uh, also dive into the VES space here. And you guys have been part of that, that, that trailblazing of the VES space for some time. And I remember talking to, uh, you and several other people about the cultures in our fire departments. And I know that for, from you guys up there, you have a pretty strong sort of truck culture up there. Whereas down south in, in South Florida, we have a pretty strong engine culture, especially in my department. We have a very, very strong engine culture, very aggressive, strong firefighting culture on our engines. But in terms of the, uh, the VES space, from where you started looking into it from uh, when you guys started doing the teaching, how has that changed, let's say, over the past uh, the 10 or whatever years, how has that uh, progressed over the last uh, time frame? Yeah, so actually, I, I believe it's changed po in the positive there, uh, light there. I think more departments are, are accepting it. Um, and I'm going to relate that to the data that's backing it up, right? So, you know, a decade ago, we, we may have not had all the data that we, uh, we have today. And, um, you know, so the tactic was basically passed on from generation to generation, uh, anecdotal type evidence, um, uh, experience based, which is which is really great. Um, however, when you're going to a decision maker in your department, you just went to an experience based conference. So say I went to XYZ fire conference and I learned from uh, I learned how to perform a VS from a uh, an FDNY member. I, I'm a small station or small city department in Florida. I come back to my fire chief and I say, hey, I want to, uh, me, maybe one other person, we want to dive into a window and search a room by ourselves without the protection of a hose line and jump back out that window. Um, you know, may have to do this off a ladder, may do a ground level. And, uh, and you know, I learned it from FDNY. Well, it's how you present it to your decision makers is how successful you're going to be to be able to change that culture, especially back then when we didn't have data. So, um, I've again, I've, it, when we were traveling and teaching this tactic, really departments would bring us on and I would not only have to teach their members the skill, but then I would have to sit down and have conversations with the decision maker and how they're going to implement this in a policy um, and really tiptoe around the words I use and how I sell this tactic to their decision makers. Right. So um, now what I see, one of the biggest questions I get when we're teaching search or we're teaching water can stuff, vinegar search, aerial operations is how do I take this back to my department and get that to my department to buy off on it? And I said, now it's easier. It's easier now because you don't have to say, hey, some guy from Florida taught me this skill and I think we should do it. You say that, you say, hey, here, here's a skill I learned from this, this guy in Florida and this is how we're going to perform it, all that. And here's the data that backs it up. 
So for instance, VES, we have line of duty death data we can look at, right? So how many firefighters um, are dying performing this skill? And I think anybody who, who dives into that data uh, would be pretty, um, if you think it's a dangerous, scary, and, and we're losing firefighters doing that, I think you're gonna be shocked when you gab into that um, line of duty death data. Uh, firefighter rescue survey, uh, basically, um, is a huge resource, and then the UL studies. And I want to go back to the firefighter rescue survey to give you an example. When we, when that survey first came out, and the vent inner search numbers were there, and I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head because obviously they change as as the number of entries increases. But when we were teaching VS and using that firefighter rescue survey, using those data points to 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 again just back up our tactics that we were teaching, um, vent inner search found the least amount of victims, yet it had the, they had the highest survivable rate. So we correlated that with departments aren't performing vendor search as much as they probably should. However, the people that are, are having the highest survival, their victims are having the highest survivable rate. Flat, fast forward to today, the survey's over 3,000 um, rescues inputted, and that number has now, uh, the, the, the difference has kind of closed, right? So there's uh, VES now is being performed more often and the survival rate is still high, but it's kind of catching up if that makes any sense. And I don't know 100% if that's the correlate there. Um, we interpreted the, da the, the data that way. Um, and, um, you know, that would be a question for the, the, the guys that run that survey, Brian Brush and Nick Ledeen and all those guys. But, um, you know, again, I just think more FDs are, are buying into that tactic tactic they're and they're using the, that data to kind of justify their uh their decisions of that it's it's awesome to see the data they're collecting these days in, in all realms in terms of um uh what you're doing over the search with what they're doing with the firefighter rescue survey i got to see brian recently do something in south florida where he's going over his data and it was nice to not only see the data but the inspiration that he was given to all the people in that room to further drive forward the need and understanding and the value of the data and science and, and understanding all that. And just like you said, I had the same problems years ago, or we had the same problems years ago trying to validate VES for us back in the day. There were just people that just didn't understand it. And eventually we were able to make it happen. And then it was further validated, like you said, with all the data coming back. And it was so vindicating to see the data validate what we knew was right. So it was nice to to have that, that justification, I guess. And we've since used the um, VES training to justify a lot of things. Like, I, and you see in your neck of the woods, we have it tremendously in South Florida in terms of um, the hurricane glass issue. All of our buildings now that you come up against, you have to assume that you have hurricane glass, impact glass. So when we were doing VES training, we were able to justify a lot of extra tools and equipment based on our challenges. We just can't climb up to a second story window and bang on it with a halogen tool. And I don't want our guys carrying up a, a K9, a 970 or a bigger saw to go up there. So we were able to justify things like the DeWalt saws and the smaller battery operated saws to go up there and assist us with bars, windows, whatever. But that training that we were doing VES, not only was, uh, it was nice to be validated, it led to other tools and equipment, other uh, South Florida specific strategies and tactics. So we've come a long way too, but it was nice to have those discussions back then and see where it's transgressed to today, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, and and we're both gonna be teaching at FDIC pretty soon, but we've both been instructors for some time. Um, so before I ask this next question, what are you gonna be doing at FDIC uh, this month? 
Yeah, so FDIC, we have a group um, from all over the country. It's uh, our hot class is um, residential primary search, making the grab. Um, we've been doing that program since 2017 at FDIC. Um, great, great group of guys. We have a good time. Um, we basically dissect uh, vent enter search, uh, primary search, and um, split search, oriented search. Uh, sometimes we'll get into the engine-based search, and it's as you imagine, as based off the title, it's a it's a search class. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to it. And um, there's a little plug here, but there's still time to register. So if you're looking for a hot class to attend, you know, I would definitely point you to residential uh, primary search, making the grab. All right. So on that note, and a little bit more high level here, um, in, in terms of teaching and the instructing space, and, and since we're talking about how to elevate our game as instructors and elevate what we do as, as instructors, teachers, educators, what's your thoughts on that? How do we elevate in the way in which we train our yeah. Yeah. So this is something um, just just in the last several years, I've really sat back and try to, you know, pick and dissect the way that uh, we we as in the you know Venner Search um, training company presents classes. Um, I think it was it's real easy to get sucked into um, as an instructor showing everybody everything, you know. And, um, you know, the, the special ops uh, uh, scene, I believe that to be the case, too, where, you know, when people teach and say uh, a rope drill, I almost see as the instructor just likes to show all these different ways because they know all the different ways. And if you look at the students eyes, they're completely lost. So I, I, I kind of took that mindset and I really dissect how we present um, our, our programs um, to the student to make sure that they're taking all in. And really what I, what I did is I, I just wanted to strip away all the fluff. And to bring it back to the fire side of things, the example of that is the birth of, of door props. Uh, forceful entry props are great to get reps, to get the, um, the movements down, to get the conversations down if we're going to speak to each other while we're doing a two-person forceful entry. However, if you don't understand real doors – there could be a time. There could be a chance that the instructor learns how to beat the prop, and then that becomes their gospel. And a good example of that is these fully metal doors that are extremely tough to force. Um, you'll see people teach just the ads method: ads, 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 all the way through the door, and that doesn't necessarily transition to a real door. It's almost like the fork is the forgotten art. Um, so really kind of stepping back, analyzing and separating a training prop from a real door and making sure that the student understands that. And that's just one example. Um, basically bringing things back to basics, you know, getting rid of a lot of the extra fluff because I feel like we lose a lot of people, especially if they're young and new to the fire service. We just kind of give them information overload, dissecting it, that crawl, walk, run phase, uh, taking time with that building repetition um we'll go when we do a search class the first two searches at least the first two searches you will be completely you'll be able to see everything you I, you won't even have your mask on you'll be a clear room the furniture is what it is and i'll get you to get multiple reps to where you can see i don't need to uh blindfold you as soon as you come up to our class and and 
completely black you out if you haven't even learned how to move through the building or have the conversation with the partner you're searching with. Um, so just doing things like that. And last thing is make your training buildings realistic. Um, I really want to make sure that all instructors around this around in the American Fire Service are making your buildings realistic. That means furnish your buildings. We got a lot of these bad search tactics, and I'm going to speak specifically with search, but I would imagine this go transition to the, the engine side and moving hose through a building. We got really bad at searching, and it's ultimately landed in a lot of our, our, our literature, uh, the choo-choo train method, um, not coming off the wall, all those things. It's because we first learn searching, uh, especially in Florida, we have to go through fire school, in wide open concrete buildings. I, I try to always say, think of your own homes. It is stuff full of furniture. Um, I have a program that I run, the Can Confidence program, that has a big search portion. And I actually laid in my 1,700 square foot house, I laid in every single room. It's furnished as a no normal American home, 1,700 square feet. There wasn't one room in my house that if I laid on my belly and stretched out, I either didn't hit the other wall or another piece of furniture. So it really changed how we were teaching to move through a house. Um, and and that, that thought was specifically on the search topic came because during our fires, I would search and I noticed how I would move across the building wasn't matching how I was um, wanting to, um, or I was taught how to search a building, right? So, um, you know, basics, strip some of the fluff and make your, uh, make your training and training buildings realistic. I dig it. I, I think that we can definitely talk on that a lot more. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that because and I'm sure you have this in your neck of the woods. We have uh, surprising to me and I knew we had them, but I didn't realize how many we have. We have a lot of hoarder homes in our area. I mean, we have well, we have two two problems in our area, in our southwest area. We have a lot of homes that originally started as a three two and now are like a seven four, <laughs> seven five. And it's all it's all it's all legal construction. No, it's not. It's all absolutely non-contracted, non-approved. It is a mess. And the amazingness we see of that is just, it's an eye-opener. So, it, it, and not only that, those homes and homes like it, between the horror conditions, between the layouts, they're challenging. So, if you're not challenging your people to learn it the right way with realistic conditions, like you said, whether that's the proper furnishings in the house, or a car in front of the garage door, or blockages in the front of the front door, those kind of things, or you can't make entry through the front door because it's locked, blocked, or otherwise inaccessible, you, these challenges are realistic. So, I'm glad you 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 started with that. Um, and in terms of the props, I, I agree, and that's always a challenge for us too because you know even with with Florida, we're pretty, and even in our neck we're really good at the ability to get acquired structures. And we try to get as many of those as possible, but they're not always available. So you have to go with props. You have to go with training structures. And there's that balance. You know, we try to get the training, but sometimes we can't get the real doors and the real buildings and whatnot. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm glad. And I understand that. And I, I, I that that's the part my, of my preach of that is you have to supplement with props. I understand that not everyone has access to real doors and things like that. I just want to make sure that we understand as the fire service and we're, we're training on these props that it is a prop. You can go through that prop as if it was a real door. But I just, again, I saw kind of a culture change or a shift change where bad tactics were being um, put together because it, that, was, that part was forgotten about. It was, hey, how do I get through this door that's in front of me? Um, and not really how that transitions to uh, 
to a real building. So I do understand that, you know, props have their place. And trust me, I, I own a couple myself. Almost every firehouse has one and I would use them, you know, almost every shift. So um, not dogging them too bad. I was just making sure that we we understand to separate them. 100 percent. Yeah. All right. So going further with this uh, and again, this goes back to something that Chief Holton had, had uh, recommended to me or, or talked about to me before his passing. And we were talking about those tactical takeaways. Uh, regardless of the topic. And I think you kind of answered this already, but I'll, I'll keep going with this. Um, in terms of uh, practicing or encouraging the idea of ways in which we can elevate this craft for us, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like when I, when I, and to give you a preface of that, like for me, what I keep going back to is I mean, go back to fire engineering and FDIC. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of knowledge and we keep encouraging them to, well, like you said in the beginning, dive deep into it, dive deep and share and i always tell people if you have something that you're trying to dive into try writing an article even if you don't think you're good at it try to turn it into fire engineering let them edit it let them get back to you it, it's going to help you get further better on that topic but for you are there any tactical takeaways in terms of elevating what we do whether it's tools tactics whatever that you recommend to the people out there yeah i mean to go off on writing an article there it's only going to make you better because writing that article is going to force you to do research on whatever tool or tactic that you're wanting to write about right so um but really just just have something that you're passionate about and dive deep into it and don't and fight through these distractions you know um a lot of the a lot of members that are you know really want to dive into this stuff in their own agency um may find themselves in a department with a a a negative culture and they may be Make, be, be made fun of, uh, beat down, saying, hey, hey, kids, slow down. This is a career, you know, or this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. And just keep your head down and fight through those distractions. Um, it takes a long time to change uh, a culture, but that's, uh, you know, you just got to keep pushing through that. Um, to the water can. And when I was, that was something that was brought to my attention that, you know, especially in the suburban setting w- was not being used. And I decided that was going to be something I want to dive into. And I think I mentioned this the other day. I was actually embarrassed that I was going around and wanting to share people, share the water can uh, tactics and, and information with people because I, I thought like you, like, what is, what is, a, I was so shocked that I could talk for four hours on a water can and now ultimately an eight hour. And it, it was very, um, um, it took me a long time to kind of accept the fact that like, wow, there is more to this than just, you know, a, a tool used uh, for investigation or rubbish fires or because NFPA tells us we have to have one on every fire truck. Right. So, um, you know, just just again, pick something that you're passionate about and you'd be surprised how much in depth you can go with this thing and then share it. You have to share that knowledge because then ultimately it could inspire somebody else to do the same. Um, and then that ultimately will will make your agency better and then bleed on into the American Fire Service. Right. So you, going back to what I said earlier is just we're all professional firefighters. We have to, whether paid or volunteer, we have to treat the craft as such. And, you know, I think of it like an athlete. Um, they, they watch tapes. They dive deep. They study every waking moment, um, you know. So that's what I try to do. And that's what I try to share with others. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. You know, it's, it's much worth thinking about uh, trying to make sure we are the better instructors that are the best instructors we can be, that we're passing up knowledge, that we're trying to demonstrate leadership things through the way we train and whatnot. We're also trying to make sure that people out there are 
finding a way they can do the same thing that we're trying to do. They can maximize what they're doing. They can focus on a passion, take what they're interested in and drive it up and enhance it. And, and like you said, whether it's writing an article, whether it's maybe teaching a class, wherever, uh, showing them a path on how they can do that. Um, and the articles is the first thing I think of because you know, even through fire engineering, they're always telling us more articles, more articles. And um, and we, we encourage that because, right, we, we need more people to be more subject matter experts and the right things. And we have to encourage that because not all of us are going to be here in the future. We're going to transition off to other things. So we got to include those new folk, whether you call it succession planning or whatever, to take the, the reins from us. So uh, I'm glad we're, we're talking about this. Um, so I, I've been diving into this podcast close to a year now, and I'm, I've been going into the different leadership traits and everything. So from your perspective, as we're talking about leadership and whatnot, uh, from your perspective, what is one of or your list in your mind of what are the greatest traits of leadership? Yeah, so um, I guess this is where I'm supposed to say some profound stuff, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I think right now, and, and it's kind of goes, it goes in ebbs and flows. Um, so right now, I guess what's on my mind is making sure that um, our leaders have a, an open mind, taking all the information and then act, right? If you're working on something that, um, say you're building a, a, a firehouse, you're, you're specking out your department's new apparatus, you're building a fire academy, you're coming up with policies. These are things that can take time. So, so take the time to be open-minded, reach out and get outside your own bubble. Get outside um, your fire department, your, your, your area, your state, and look, look across the country. You'd be surprised how many Winter Park fire departments there are around the country um, or or you know xyz fire department that you work for you'd be surprised how many similar departments around the country that are doing things a little bit different than you are and you can actually learn from that so um having that open mind also having an open mind when you're faced with a decision say on scene that you have to make right now right so we have to still be open-minded take in all the information and then you just have to act on it now whereas some of those other earlier examples of open mind you know we have time we're building in a fire truck we're building a, a, um, a firehouse you know just have that open mind don't just don't just be closed-minded um, you know being well trained and able to make those decisions are, are uh, huge leadership traits um, that I, I would look up to and still look up to today is um, I want I want somebody that is very well trained very dialed in and very dedicated to the craft and ultimately can make a decision, right? We don't want a leader that I'm trying to follow that is wishy-washy on decisions. Um, you know, some, sometimes it's like, hey, we just need to make a decision, right? Um, get dirty with your members, meaning go out there, put the gear on, and train. If you're in a formal leadership role, whether you have a red helmet or a white helmet, um, you need to get in the gear and work with your members. That is one of the best ways I've seen um, people uh, come together and create buy-in. Obviously, in my role, I'm a company officer, so that means I, I ride a fire truck and I have to put gear on. Um, I could easily go sit in my office and work on computer stuff all day, but I try to go out and get dirty with the, with the members um, and train and sweat with them. There's a huge benefit of that. One, you guys are training. You're all going to increase your skills. I can now size up the members. The members can size up me. We now know both parties are competent. And when it comes to showing up on a, a scene and we're faced with adversity, um, we should have we're, we're building that confidence in each other. Right. So um, 
you know, basically members want to make, uh, make sure that their, their leaders are competent, can make decisions, can know how to, uh, get dirty and, and sweat with those guys. And then open mind, open mindedness, please, please, please. We need to have leaders that are open minded. So as I just reflect on what you just said, I think that the most powerful part of what you just said, and this is weird, is the first statement you made when you said, well, right now, this is what I'm thinking. I think everything you said is gold, but I think that first part of, well, right now, this is what's on my mind. That's important because as we transition through this career, we're changing ranks, we're changing stations, we're changing positions from ops to admin all over the place. And things change. Our experiences, we grow. And what we thought was important on day one may not be the most important thing on day, you know, 20, day for your 20th year. So I love that you started with right now. Because that right there spoke volumes to me. Um, it, and I like that you said the open mind because you, it's basically listening. Basically, not only the open mind, but listening to what else is out there. And that's been something that's, as I'm doing research for my class coming up at FDIC, one of the most common responses is they want someone that listens and listens and takes the knowledge and just sits there and allows them to just absorb information rather than be the one to talk and offer advice and change this, change it. No, they're listening. Um, some of the most powerful people I've spoke to recently say that the most advantageous they, thing they did in new positions was just go on a listening tour, mm-hmm. go on a listening tour and absorb information, whether it was John Butler from Fairfax or my fire chief in Fort Lauderdale, they just listened. They took the time to listen and then respond. So that was, that's a great way to start this, um, you know, in terms of getting outside your organization. And I think that you, you, know, you were talking about size of departments, whether it's a small department or large department. I got to tell you, I've learned some ridiculously powerful nuggets from the smallest departments, just ridiculously powerful nuggets that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I'm going to incorporate that into what I do in Fort Lauderdale, as much as I've learned from metro size organizations and so on and so forth. So you're right, getting out and not just getting out to learn from a larger organization, but other similar sizes and other organizations that just happen to have good ideas. Um, one thing I did want to expound upon though, and I love the idea of getting dirty with your crew. And I, I think about that a lot these days because, like, for me right now as an admin guy, I, I'm tied to a desk sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I always say to myself, I got to get out there. I got to go sweat. I got to get my gear on. And I get out there a little bit, definitely less than what I want to do. But as we're talking about this, I want to not challenge it, but I want to make sure I give the proper perspective to the people that are listening to this. Yes, I have to get out of my office and visit the firehouse, put on my gear, use a saw, get into the burn building, totally get 100%. You know what really makes my day is when I get the random call from a firehouse saying, hey, you want to swing by for lunch today? Dude, that is – I've done something right in my career when I get that phone call. You know what I mean? So just throwing it back out there to the people that are listening. Yes, we, you love it when the chiefs come by and we, they have my guys come and visit and they get their gear dirty and, and they're, they're, they're feeling with you. But don't feel like you can't ask them. You'd be surprised with that little – you never know what you get when you until you ask. So if, if and I got a call a couple weeks ago, or it was last week from a, one of my firehouses, hey, we're having lunch, come on by. First of all, they made my day. Second of all, you get over there, have the conversation, it, whatever that looks like, training, lunch, whatever. But it works both ways, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I, yeah. I, 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 you're right, though. But I, and no matter what, at the end of the day, you're right. Whether I'm an admin or you're in the field, doing what, never, never asking somebody to do something that you would not yourself do is huge. And that that builds bonds and collaborates and all that kind of jazz. Awesome, yeah, I like that lunch idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, 
So here's one of my favorite questions. Um, this has been something that I enjoy asking. So do you have any concerns right now in the fire service? In other words, what keeps you up at night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of kind of back off or back to the open-mindedness, you know, just making sure uh, that our leadership and decision makers aren't closed-minded, um, that they're, again, taking in all the information. Sound like a broken record here, but, you know, I, I feel like, Sometimes that closed mindedness, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know, or it's almost kind of ego driven, right? So I'm in this position of power or of leadership. I should be the, the all knowing. And, and, and just as we talked, you know, just, just here recently, it's, you don't know what you don't know. Go out and figure, you know, listen, be a good listener. That's, that's, that's things that I, I think about. The other thing um, that, which, you know, I think about all the time and, uh, it's actually not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in fact, I, I would argue and say it's a good thing. But I just want to make sure that the American Fire Service is not going to be caught off guard um, because I think it could turn pretty nasty for us. And I think um, in the future, the public is going to hold us accountable for the actions or inactions, um, lack of actions um, that are performed on the fire ground, meaning, you know, a fire department has a significant fire. Um, there was significant uh, fire damage to the building or, God forbid, a life, uh, civilian life lost. And then now all of a sudden you're going to I feel this coming where the whether it be the insurance companies, the the actual civilians, they're going to start to dive in and say, hey, did my fire department perform the way that they said they were going to perform? Did they, you know, apply the water appropriately? Did they actually conduct a search quickly? Um the, the, the reason why I think that's coming to us is because we have the data now. The data is out there that helps guide our, uh, our, 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 our decisions that we've been making without the data for, for generations. But now there is actually data out there that anybody with, a, with the Internet can go and, and say, hey, what's the best way to search a building or what's the most survivable type of search for our victims? Um, um, uh, you know, what's the best way to apply water? And if if these uh, if if a fire doesn't go a, a, a certain way and the civilians catch on to this, I could see where they're going to start holding us accountable like they're holding other public um, departments uh, accountable. And again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's actually a good thing. and It's going to raise the standards. I just want to make sure that we get ahead of it. Not I want to be proactive with that thought. I don't want to be reactive. I don't want all of a sudden everyone jumps on that bandwagon and starts attacking the fire service and we're all caught off guard like, whoa, what do we do? What do we do? Let's anticipate this happening, making sure we're staying up with the best tactics and strategies and training our people um, to make those decisions so that doesn't have to happen. You're, you're speaking my language and you're saying some buzzwords that always get me excited in terms of not only the data, but the be, being proactive. and. As we walk, as we get close to the end of this, and as I'm walking away from this, I think that probably is the most profound thing that we've, we've talked about so far. The fact that, yes, we have the data, and the data is powerful, but now there's the aspect of being held accountable to it. That's 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 something that um, I'm glad you mentioned at the end, and I don't want to dive into because it it'll bring us into another hour or two, but that's a great, it actually helps me with the next question I was going to ask in terms of like, for future podcasts, you know, what information am I should, should I be looking for that the America Fire Service needs to hear? But right there, that's 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 a good one. I'm really am glad you mentioned that because you're right. We always talk about accountability and responsibility. Well, 
we're doing our part to get the data to show what we do to, to validate certain things. But you're right, there's a reverse for that too. Mm-hmm. And you you made a good point. It's not a bad thing as long as we're cognizant of it and getting ahead of it. And for the data-minded people like you, myself, that's 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 powerful. That's that's something that I'm gonna walk away with in this conversation and probably do some more, more notes on to make sure not only I got the data, and this is with, with, with whatever we're doing with the data, that's a general great question to ask. Okay, you have the data, what are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. What are you doing with all this data that you have? So that's, yep. a, that's, a, great, uh, that's a great answer to that question. And, that, and I guess that's the next one as well. I, I enjoy doing these. I think it's a great platform. I'm learning a lot, and I think that we generate good content for the people that are listening. But what are some other things in terms of what we're talking about right now that firefighters want to hear about? What are some other things that need to be out there more uh, on the radar that, that you think that needs to be more out there? Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, I think this would, the, the, what you said would be a great topic for a future show for sure. Um, you know, on my travels, I go to a lot of conferences a year, a um, lot of training events um, all around the country. And you, you, you're starting to see trends and themes that are, are virtually the same, no matter what size fire department or who you're speaking to, either the, the middle of nowhere to the big urban cities. And a lot of people are asked a question is like, man, this is such a great conference. I wish my uh, my administration was here. I wish my chief officer was here. I wish my lieutenant was here. Someone in formal leadership, they wish it was here. Because if you ask people's rank in the in a group of, say, 800 students in a during a uh, lecture of a conference, um, overwhelming majority of these people are firefighters, right? They're not the ones that have as much influence on decisions of, of a fire uh, of, of a administration or excuse me a fire department so um, I think again having leadership uh, having open-minded leadership having these having these administrative these chief officers the company officers showing up to these fire ground or these fire conferences to see what their firefighters are learning right they're learning from senior members from other fire departments well if i was a chief officer or a company officer i want to know what they're what they're teaching our people um i so i think um you know having a topic of of a discussion point on how do we get these these formal leaders into these conferences um and and attending them not just chief level conferences where they talk you know, uh, administrative duties, how to how to work alongside a union, all those things. They need to um, see how how uh, how searches are going, how hose lines are being pulled. Um, there's great leadership classes in these things. I mean, there's there's all that benefit that I would like to see. Um, no, I dig, and I, you're right though. And, and it, it, that that's the common question, right? We go to these these classes, these conferences, and. The common thing is, wow, I, this is great, but the people that need to hear this aren't here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is one of the, the biggest comments that we, we receive. And um, but yeah, that, that's a good point, though. You know, how do we get those more formal leaders, the officers, to see what we're doing? And that, that's that's a good an idea going forward, 100. percent So, what's next for you, man? What's on your radar that we should keep an eye on these days? Yeah, so uh, I mean, definitely, um, definitely, like we spoke earlier, the F, uh, FDIC um, will be there. Uh, our group will be there the whole week. Um, so. Uh, again, uh, residential primary search making a grab is our hot class on Monday and Tuesday. Um, I'm sure I'll see a lot of you guys there. Please, please come come by, say hi. I love talking tactics with you guys or, or just life. 
Um, and then really ultimately it's like family time. It's ramping up summer here. Um, you know, you as well being from Florida, you know, we spend a lot of our summers outside on the boat, going to the beach, swimming in the pool. So really for me, I, I try to lay low a little bit during the summer months, um, and focus heavily on family with the, with the kids being out of school, um, and attend a couple conferences here and there throughout the summer. But, but ultimately it's just more family time for me in the near future. Um, you know, I kind of ramp back up. Um, in the fall time uh, on the traveling and things like that. So, yeah, FDIC and then a family-filled summer. All right, man. And how can people get a hold of you? They need to contact you on anything we talked about today. Yeah, so uh, on Facebook and Instagram, just uh, Eric Wheaton. Um, you can hit, uh, find me there or enter search, uh, whether it be the website or Facebook and Instagram as well. Those are, are great ways to keep in touch. And, you know, if you've got a question from anything we talked about today or something even different, uh, I'd be glad to kind of dive in. I'm more of an in-person chat. So don't be surprised if you write me a message that I think requires a, uh, write me a question that requires a little bit more in depth of a conversation. Um, you know, I may shoot you my phone number, um, in the message and I rather just do things over the phone or, or via, via some sort of video conference thing, just because I feel like the answer warrants that. So I 100% yep. I totally agree with you on that. All right, man. Well, well, first of all, once again, thank you for, for hanging out with me and talking about the, the, this stuff. And this has been a great conversation. Before we, we, we do end off, I want to say just to kind of cover a couple of things and kind of summarize what we talked about here today, which was a lot. Um, <laughs> I love that we started off talking about, you know, in terms of encouraging those about um, diving into a topic they're passionate about. And then the idea of sharing that afterwards, whatever that sharing looks like, it's important not to only to accumulate the data and get good at it and become a person that can elevate something to a specialty, a craft, an art. But what are you doing to share it? What are you doing to pass it on? And we as, as instructors, we as leaders, we do the same thing. I mean, it's if we keep it all to ourselves, what good is that? So how do we pass that on? Um, I enjoyed talking about the can confidence class and where that came from. And and that's how this that thing whole this that spurred this whole conversation. And I think that's that's my favorite thing about going to classes, attending conferences, seminars, wherever, is that sometimes you'll walk away with the smallest nugget that just sticks in your brain and you got to expound upon it. You got to reach out and go, hey, listen, I want to talk more about that. And it leads to a, a further conversation like this. So I'm glad we dove into that. Um, I'm glad you mentioned line of duty deaths, the firefighter rescue survey. And for those that are listening, if you're not looking into that data, if you're not familiar with these concepts, you got to get online and look. You got to reach out, to, or not even reach out, but just be familiar at least with what's going on out there in terms of all that's being done to make our profession that much more of a craft and a true profession. Um, we talked about a lot of things like elevation of instructors and making uh, training props realistic and to get that, to make it more realistic for what they're going to see in the field. And some of the big things that I took away from this are the idea when I asked about traits, the idea of, you know, well, right now, this is what's on my mind. And that's good because certain things are going to stay static through your career, but things change. And that's OK that our, our mindsets drift or change or evolve over time based on experiences, rank, whatever. And that was that was a good conversation. Um, I did like the idea of talking about getting dirty with the gear. And I like that we talked about the dichotomy. In other words, uh, I'm a chief officer upstairs. And if I get that phone call, hey, come on for lunch. I'm doing something right. If no one ever calls me, what am I not doing to get that invite? You know, you know what I mean? Um, but it's important to, to develop those shared experiences with our crews, no matter how that looks. But getting out there and getting dirty with them is huge. And the last one that I'm going to walk away with is the idea that, yes, we got all this data. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, it's really 
pushing our craft and use the word craft. I like that because that brings back to where we started from in terms of this being upwards of an art form in some cases, but how we have to be proactive with the data, see the trends, utilize the data, because at some point, the idea of being held accountable to all this data, we don't want to be behind the eight ball on it when God forbid something goes wrong or we're not paying attention to it. So that was, I think that was the most profound thing that we talked about at the end of this. So, all right, well, that all being said, man, um, we're, we're getting close to someone around an hour. I don't even know. But um, any any final words on this topic? Any final thoughts as we kind of get in your closing this up? Yeah, just, um, you know, it's a fun career. And um, a lot of my motivation to stay engaged with it is because is I have a good time. I mean, I enjoy the career. I enjoy meeting new people. I enjoy hearing how other fire departments operate and, and bringing that back to, to our fire department here in central Florida. And just, I just, I really enjoy it. And it's, it's, you know, it's just great for, great for my family. Great, great for, um, building great friendships and stay into it guys. I, I, uh, I hear so many things about, um, people into the job getting beat down and that's a shame, but, uh, keep your head down. I lived through a lot of that, um, my earlier, earlier years in the career and, it's completely different now and it took time it doesn't take months or even a year it takes multiple years so keep your head down push through it have have positive attitude and have fun with the job it's a great job that's a great way to end this man i, I appreciate your time i appreciate the words this was a really good conversation man i enjoyed this a lot it was easy it felt natural there's a lot of and and, and unfortunately i got a lot of work to do because there's a lot of things <laughs> i'm now going to look up and kind of dive into and whoever in my department is into data they're going to be really upset because now that i'm going to be holding them accountable so we are, are held, not held accountable they're going to be like oh steve why do you keep doing these come on but this is good man so as we as we kind of tailor off um once again i want to thank everybody for listening i hope this uh, brought you value if you need to reach out to eric his conflict as his information through there you get mine through uh, fire engineering but um, once again thank you for listening um uh, as and, and just to quote uh, Chief Holden at the end, I think that we did him justice by talking about ways to tactically deploy the things we were talking about today. And I always try to make sure that that's in the forefront of my mind. So once again, thank you to FD uh, Fire Engineering for allowing us this podcast for the time to talk. Uh, thank you to my department for Orlando Fire Rescue for giving me the time to explore this space. And uh, we'll see you next month. And um, we'll see you hopefully at FDIC. If you need anything from us, please reach out. We'd love to talk. And, and as Eric said, we love the job. We love what we do. So we, we definitely love those conversations. So thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. And thank you, Eric. Yeah, take care.